What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, my name is Glenn, and this is episode number 253. And it's about the hundredth time I've recorded this intro because I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, usually I turn on the microphone, I'm just like, what? Say whatever. But it's just weird. You know, I'm in this place where we're releasing episodes every other week. Uh, you all know that my father passed away in March. And everything kind of went quiet for a while. I'm starting to awaken some things. Um, and so I'm recording this. I'm like, what do I want to share? What don't I want to share? How much do I want to share? How little do I want to share? You know, and it, all these questions are going through my through my mind. Uh, what I will say is I'm doing okay. Um, a lot of people have reached out, asked how I'm doing. I'm okay. And a lot of people have asked, like, you. sometimes you post things on Facebook and, like, I'm a little concerned about you. Uh, I'm okay. I, I promise. You know, uh, sometimes I share my feelings about something I'm I'm wrestling with in the moment with my regards to my dad and my grief, and I do that uh, because I want people to know, especially people that came from my kind of world, that it's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. Uh, I was taught in my world, you know, it's okay to be sad for a time, but then you gotta you gotta move on. You know, you gotta pack up your bags and you gotta move on to the next thing. Uh, there's still work to be done, you know, for Christ and for the kingdom and things like that. And it's it's selfish of you to sit in your sadness for too long when you have other people who are counting on you, including God himself, because you need to start spreading the gospel again and you need to start doing the work of the kingdom again. And, you know, so I, I carry all that baggage with me in regards to my grief. I know a lot of other people do as well. So I share things to let people know that, hey, my, my father passed away in March. It's March, April, May, June, July you know what? I still have really hard days. And I'm still going to have hard days as we go into August and September and October and November and December and January. It's it's okay. And it's okay to be sad. And it's okay to just not be yourself. And it's okay if people don't understand that. And so I share things like, like I do sometimes on Facebook and stuff like that, because I want people, I, I'm hoping that it allows people to feel a permission slip of sorts to uh, embrace their own feelings of sadness and, and grief in their own circumstances. So anyway, I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. Uh, I have good days. I have bad days, uh, but it's all to be to be expected. Um, but thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for your love, your encouragement, uh, your grace on me during this period of, of my life. Um, I'm extremely grateful uh, for all of you. Today, we're talking to uh, Heather Hamilton. She wrote a book called uh, returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. And Heather has such a unique way of looking at the Bible. She's going to share with us her story, tell us about the book. And in the book, she she takes some well-known Bible stories and looks at them in entirely different ways. And if you're somebody who has really struggled with the Bible, like I have, and you don't know what to do with it <laughs> in this season of your life, because like in the past, it was the inerrant, perfect word of God, and it was the field guide for my life. You know, it told me everything I needed to do and how I needed to act and all these different things. But now, like, I don't see it that way anymore. I don't know what to do with it. It's sitting on my shelf growing dust. Like, what is this book? Uh, I guarantee you, if you take the time to read this book by the end of it, uh, you will actually have a desire to pick up your Bible again and look at it. I guarantee it. Uh, she has such a unique approach to the scriptures, and I really, really appreciate that for her because I feel like her and I operate on the same wavelength because like, even like with my last book, uh, Emerging from the Rubble, 
I took a look at Matthew's gospel and various stories in the gospel and tried to breathe new life into these same old scriptures that many of us were raised with. And that's what she does in this book. She doesn't just go like into one particular book of the Bible. It's the whole Bible. Uh, she's looking at various stories and it's so, so good. So do yourself a favor, uh, pick up the book. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, go order it, go get it. You will not be sorry. Uh, also, I'll put the link to my book in the show notes. Like I said, Emerging from the Rubble. Uh, that is a walk through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at some of the stories from that gospel uh, through the lens of Matthew's original readers or hearers. And we ask ourselves, how would they have received these stories, thought about these stories, and what might these stories uh, be able to speak to us in our circumstances uh, today? So uh, link in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the show with Patreon or one-time gift, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And uh, that's it, my friends. That's all That's all I've got. We are doing bi-weekly episodes. So uh, this week is an episode. Next week, there will not be an episode. There will be one the following week again. And like I said, we'll continue that approach likely through the end of the year. And then we'll pick up back to weekly things uh, after the new year or maybe towards the end of this year. Haven't decided yet. Uh, but what I have decided is that today is the conversation with Heather Hamilton uh, her book, Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Let's do it. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're talking to a brand new guest. Her name is Heather Hamilton. She's written a brand new book called Returning to Eden that we're going to scratch the surface of today. And so Heather, welcome to the podcast. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. Thanks, Glenn. I've been looking forward to talking to you too. Thank you. So your book uh, is amazing. I, I love it. And there's so uh, much to talk about and so little time <laughs> I know. for us to do it in. There's so many different topics that we could explore. Yeah. I was yeah, racking my brain about yeah. I was like <laughs> racking my brain about which ones we want to dive into uh, yeah. today. But I thought that we could start with uh, maybe the story of your your spiritual journey, uh, which you write about in the uh, obviously opening of the book, because I feel like that story and so many aspects of it like set up the rest of the book. So I thought it would be right. a good place for us to begin. So uh, maybe obviously start by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, the basic kind of things, and then take us a little bit into your story. You know, where were you in regards to your faith? Where are you now? And what are some steps that brought you from there to here? Yeah. So, um, okay. My name is Heather Hamilton. Um, I'm the author of this book right here. Right there. Me. Re right Returning to Eden, A Field Guide for the Spiritual Journey. Yeah. Um, so my profession um, is a, a video producer. That's mm. what I've been doing for about um, 15 or 20 years. Um, and so about uh, a little over four years ago, um, you know, I had done video production, like for all, all sorts of clients and, um, but a large, like part of that work, um, was for churches and stuff. Like I grew up evangelical. My husband grew up evangelical, you know, like non-denominational Baptist, like very conventional, probably like a lot of people who are on this podcast. Born right um, into it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so like nothing really noteworthy there. Um, but we, you know, were involved, um, and, you know, our whole community is sort of like in influenced by like um, a really big mega church at the time, like four years ago, 
my husband was the music director there and we were just really like, it was our whole life, you know, yeah. like there was a uh, relation, like relationships work. Um, he was on staff at the church and, you know, our friends are like everything. I don't have to explain this, but it like, this was like the ecosystem. It was like you your know? universe. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was our universe. So anyways, and I know people like come into like deconstructing or asking questions, like in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and like for, for a lot of people, I feel like it's like, oh, there was like this question that led to another question that led to, and you know, and then eventually you're like, like that was not the case for me mm -hmm. um, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't questioning. I wasn't looking to question. And like, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty intelligent person, but like there, that was just not something that was like on my radar. Yeah. Um, so we were just like, you know, gung ho, um, in, you know, all in sold out, um, in this ministry and everything. Um, and yeah, the faith piece, like was just the lens for my whole life, you know? Mm -hmm. So getting married, it was like, you gotta be a Christian. You gotta be this kind of Christian, you know, like, that it was just the lens. Check all the boxes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I don't think I would have called it that sure. at that point, you know? Yeah. But, um, anyway, and then about four and a half years ago, um, I, I won't get into it entirely specifically as to the why, but mm -hmm. I, um, basically overnight, um, sort of had this <laughs> divine revelation about a lot of things in my life. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of, um, you know, and up until that point, it was like, you know, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I'm successful in my, it was like, we followed the rules and like, this is the payoff. Like I have yeah. a life that I'm proud of. Yeah. Um, and sort of overnight, like, and <laughs> kind of literally overnight, like realized, okay, I have a lot of, um, repressed trauma that I have not dealt with. Mm -hmm. And it kind of erupted. Um, and once I saw it, it was just seeing it so quickly, like literally, you know, if you need glasses and you're just used to seeing the world as fuzzy and then all of a sudden, like someone throws glasses on your face, like it was like, oh my God, like <laughs> just all these, it. <laughs> you cannot unsee it. And yeah. so there was just very suddenly like these major revelations about my life. Um, and that essentially triggered what would conventionally be called a nervous breakdown, I think. Mm -hmm. Although at the time I was aware that it was like something kind of spiritual that was happening. Like mm -hmm. it was intense and my body and nervous system couldn't process it. Um, and so that was all erupting while at the same time, like all these puzzle pieces of my life were coming together. So it wasn't like, you know, I, I don't know, some random thing where someone has this happen and they're hallucinating. It wasn't like that. It was like, it all made sense, but it was just complete overwhelm. Yeah. So, um, over the course of about, uh, four or five days, mm -hmm. like, um, I started experiencing really intense panic attacks, um, mm -hmm. where I, I know that a lot of people have those in their comment. Um, but it was like back to back to back, um, that sort of kind of threw me in this, into <laughs> this descent. Um, so I kind of described the intensity of this experience, um, in the book and how it kind of culminated in this one night where like, I 
I'm not really sure like how else to describe it except for like, I knew that I was in this psychological experience of hell. Like I knew that that is what it was. Um, and sort of like in that, um, there was like sort of this recognition of like, I, I can't live. Like if, if this doesn't fix itself or there's not some kind of solution, like I, this would lead to suicide very quickly, you know, and I had just had a baby. We had three young kids. Like it wasn't like I had this past of suicidal ideation or anything like this. It was like this one experience descent. I, you know, had a very literal interpretation of the Bible and this experience kind of illuminated like, no, I'm in the, this is the belly of the whale. This is hell. This is what it is. Um, it's not a literal place. It's this. And so, um, anyways, there was that experience. And, you know, I told my husband, like, you have to call 911. Like I, mm. you know, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's happening from here, but like, we're not okay. We need help. And so we did call 911 and part of the emergency response team that showed up on my front porch immediately when she started speaking, she struck me as someone who was transgender. And, you know, we live in a pretty conservative area. It was just not what I was expecting. I still was in my sort of evangelical bubble about othering people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like us and them. Yeah. Yes. And even when I, you know, hear people now talk about like, you know, well, we all have the image of God. We all have to love. There's still this really maybe unconscious um, thing in in fundamentalism where it's like, we, you know, in, in, in the mega church, there, there was a ton of diversity there. You know what I mean? There was people all over the spectrum that were there, but I think that there's still this thing where it's like, we treat everyone fairly. We're tolerant, like come be a part of our family. But if you grow up fundamentalist, you're, there's still this thing in your mind where it's like, you're not supposed to be helping me. I'm supposed to be helping you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this kind of thing. So I think that that, is sort of where I was. So sort of this setup on my front porch where I'm like, I'm the person in ministry. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I was supposed to help you. <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to be helping you. Right. And, and then you're on my porch. And so I was like struck with this. It was fear, just like yeah. this unexpected dynamic that was happening in this really vulnerable moment in my life. And then when she started speaking, it was like, I immediately recognized it was like the presence or essence of Christ was coming off her. I'm not really sure how else to explain it other than like, it was like the way in which she spoke to me was like, it was so loving and precise. Like I felt like she was the only person who really saw me in that moment. And that's not to say like my husband was standing right there. He just didn't understand what was happening. Sure. So it was like, I felt just really distinctly seen. And it was like, just this peace and presence like came over me. And mm -hmm. so anyways, from there, you know, um, I was able to get like the help that I needed and like move into the healing process. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was this moment of like, I know that I was just like in hell or this is like, this is as low as it gets kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like 
the most visceral experience of Christ was like right on my porch in my home. And it was this kind of recognition of like, I've been like looking for this out there, like in the church, you know, like I'm going to go find Jesus or whatever, like at this church and in this ministry and da, 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 da. And instead it was like right under my nose, like at my house, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, what was happening inside of me was this recognition as well of like, I have carried this divine DNA with me this whole time. Like since I was a child, like before church, before hearing, like this has always been here. I just, it's like, I've been looking out for it so much that I overlooked it. Like it was so deep in me that I didn't see it. Mm. So anyways, that was the, that was kind of the BCAD like road to Damascus <laughs> moment for yeah, me. Sure. Where I knew that I had exper- experienced something very viscerally real. Mm-hmm. Um, and that continued to be like, you know, that played out like I, I had a lot of therapy and, and this sort of thing after that, um, where the pieces kept coming together and I was able to like kind of integrate and give language to this experience. Mm-hmm. But I just knew like the way that I had seen the Bible and the stories and everything before I was like, that's, <laughs> that's not, that's not it. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't this like purely rational, logical, like follow the rabbit trail until you unravel the whole thing. Sure. Um, it was like, I didn't have this word for it now, but it really was like a mystical experience that I mm. knew was real, you know, although it was hard to articulate to other people. So, um, I guess I'll pause there, um, for now, but that was sort of like my conversion or deconversion. I don't really know like what you would call <laughs> what it. What kind of word I, we're going like, to throw on it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I feel like I just converted to something, but I'm supposed to be a Christian. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> you know, throw, like, what, what label know to what use, but I'm something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So many things in your, in your story though, like really, uh, evoke a lot of memories in my own story because like even just listening to you tell this story now that you you do tell in the book you know it's like remember when I worked for Apple I told you I worked for Apple for 11 mm-hmm. years and I came to Apple right after pastoring a church because I had this wow I didn't really, know that part yeah really bad not really great experience pastoring a church and mm-hmm. it brought up a lot of things in me and I was like well I'm gonna take a break from, you know, ministry for a while. And I'm going to go work for Apple for a little bit. Cause I had some friends yeah. who work there and I was like, they pay pretty good and you get good benefits. So I just need a place to go and do something other than ministry and mm-hmm. I'll just be there for a year or so. And then we'll go back into a church and 11 years yeah. later, you know, I was, I was still there, but at Apple, I met all of these people who were just drastically different than the people that I was in with in my little bubble. You know, I met, yeah became friends with people who are gay, lesbian. Um, I can remember being, we had a morning meeting at Apple every morning and the managers one morning called us all together and said that this certain person was going to be out for a couple of months. Uh, When they came back, their pronouns were going to be he and him. And they were going to look a lot differently because they've been having some surgery. And I remember it just like blew my mind. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I never had any of these experiences in the church. I was mm-hmm. always told that these people needed my help. Right. But yet these people became my friends and they yeah. became helpers to me because over 11 years, yeah. we shared a lot of experiences together. 
and they minister to me in just incredible ways. And like you say in the book, like I saw Christ in them, they were Christ to me and I just blew my mind. And I, I, you can't, once you see that, you can't unsee it. Like you can't just like, wow, that must've been a, you know, that must not have been reality. It must have, you know, have to rethink what this really means. But once you have that experience where you sense Christ and somebody who you were always told is different than you, you yeah. can't unsee that. And like, it has to change everything about yes. you. And that's what it did for me. And it seems like that's what it did for you. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, it's interesting because I know like for people like you and I, who've had this like viscerally real experience mm-hmm. where you actually go like, this was like, this is more real than anything that I've ever yeah. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. a deeper reality that it was more present to. Yeah. Um, for me, at least, I, I can't speak for everyone, but it is, if I had to speculate and I have my theory, you know, after that, I kind of felt like, I don't remember what the biblical character is who like has some kind of conversion and then like goes running naked in the streets or whatever. Everyone thinks oh, he's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But who was that? I don't remember, but I know who you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. I sort of felt like that. Like it was just <laughs> like, Oh my God. Like I see the truth. I just have to go like tell people, you know, I was like running around, like, I don't believe in hell anymore. Like it's not real. (laughs) Everyone will understand. (laughs) Yes. But I really was like, like that, you know, like a kid who like had just seen the real Santa or something like that. Like, Oh my God, he's real. Like buddy, the elf or something. I did have, it was like this, um, where I was just like, Oh, these people just never heard. So I'll just tell them, you know? (laughs) So that was kind of like my initial thing. And like, Mm -hmm. obviously like you can imagine like how that went. Um, what's funny is I actually, I was surprised, like, and maybe it's just because we were at this mega church, um, where I was kind of thinking like, Oh, everyone here thinks the same way as me. And Mm -hmm. I quickly discovered like, you know, my husband's a musician. So our, like, it, it's a huge church, but we kind of, it was a little smaller for us. Cause we were like in the musician community. Mm-hmm. Like that was sort of all of our friends. Sure. So anyways, as I was kind of like on this little, let me just blurt out my newfound revelation rampage, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the most like innocent way. <laughs> um, I, I, I was like, there's like a, a lot of people here who like, don't believe in hell. And I was like, what the hell? You know, right. I was like, why didn't you ever tell me about right. this? You know, Where have you been right. Yes. I don't like you, you haven't like believed in that this whole time. Like, what are you even doing here? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, even for my husband, it was like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of let go of that like a while ago. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, he was like, I love playing music, you know, like it's just <laughs> his whole experience of like, evangelicalism was different Mm. and his connection point was like, you know, music and everything. So anyways, I don't, I'm I'm getting to a point here. What I was, what I was getting to was with me, like I had some people who were understanding and it like it deepened relationships and like Mm. some beautiful things have come out of it. And I really haven't been able to like shut up about things. (laughs) So there were like some ripple effects, like in our, community. Um, but then of course there were people who were like immediately like projected their fear onto me where it was like, I've known you for years. Like I'm the same person, but all of a sudden it felt like there was like 
this cardboard cutout of me like that went like, you know what I mean? And it's like people couldn't engage with me anymore. Um, And it was fear. And like, so even like in the deconstruction community and people who are doing this and it's like, you know, we just have to advocate more or try to argue with people like into seeing our perspective on this. Mm -hmm. Like I think back to myself five years ago and I'm like, I don't think that would have ever worked on me because I had a deep, like bodily cellular visceral fear of going to hell. And, and so until that, until I found myself in that place and experienced sort of like the culmination of all my fear and dealt with it, um, it like, that's, that's basically like, what cleared the way for everything. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. Oh, I've already been to the scariest psychological place possible and seen the transformative power of it. Yeah. But I'm like, even though I feel like that something like that might be necessary for people for like true, like transformation, yeah. I wouldn't have wished it on any, like, seriously, it was one of those things where it's like, you wouldn't wish this on the worst person in the world. Like I hope never, no one ever experiences this. So I'm like, there is like this, a a psychological barrier to like, you know, if for some people, especially if you're grow up fundamentalist, which I'm like, I'm sorry, most of us were, you know, like if we were in evangelicals, unless you just had some really like enlightened parents or something, you know, I'm like, it's, there's such a visceral fear of hell that is going to prevent you having any incentive or even being able to like really adjust your theology or worldview, you know? So anyways, in, I, I basically realized it's not very effective for me to just go out like blurting what I believe or don't believe or what I think is real (laughs) or not real. Mm -hmm. I'm like people, I think that people are going to have to see this in a way that makes more sense. Like, and so I've kind of adjusted, um, and and this is essentially like, what was the motivation for the book was like this exasperation of, you know, is there, is there hell or no hell? Is it this or the, whatever I was like, Mm -hmm. been there, you know what I mean? Like I really have experienced this. Um, and so I've sort of adjusted from going like, there's no hell, meaning like it's not a geographical, all that's the way that we've conceived it. That doesn't exist. But like, let me explain to you the function of what this is and how it's an actual like necessary step in the process of transformation. So like a metaphor I give in the book is, um, you know, like a caterpillar Mm -hmm. from a caterpillar's perspective, like getting swallowed by a cocoon and then having your body melted would is a pretty hellish experience. You know what I mean? Which eventually transforms the caterpillar into a butterfly. So from the butterfly's perspective, it's like, Oh no, this is like the best thing that can happen for you, you know? But from the caterpillar's perspective, it's like, (laughs) watch out for the cocoon. Don't let it swallow you, you know? (laughs) So anyways, I tried to using like biblical stories, like Mm -hmm. go beyond the, is this literal or is this real or not real? You know, it's like, um, taking these literal stories that have like deep penetration into our psyches and really are never going to be out of them. Yeah. And like, 
recontextualizing them as like maps for psychological transformation. And so my hope, if I have accomplished it in the book, is to like, just wipe out these, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like arguing over if Santa is real or not, instead of understanding like the, the spirit that Santa carries symbolically Mm -hmm. evokes certain things in your psyche that, you know, can be like magical is not the right word, but I'm like, the love and the joy and, you know, the spirit of Christmas or whatever, like can be like mapped to those things. And those are very real like experiences, you know? So the stories are just really like vessels and containers for, you know, the eternal spirit of Christ to like flow through. Um, and you know, in order for that to happen, there's like a psychological process that you have to go through. And if you're not aware of (laughs) that, you're, that you're experiencing a psychological process. Like if you're like the caterpillar and you're not aware that like the cocoon is a natural part of your development, Mm -hmm. then you're going to end up like me, (laughs) you know, it's just like, what is happening right now? Right. (laughs) So anyways, so my hope was to explain these as maps, which I'm like, it doesn't, diminish the impact of these experiences, but I think it gives you enough hope to hold on and go like, okay, I'm in the belly of the whale right now. It was funny. Once I realized this, I was like, I I think this is where Jonah is. I went back Mm -hmm. and looked at the story. And for the first time I saw like in the KJV, the King James version, Jonah saying out of the belly of hell, I cried. Mm -hmm. He says that I'm like, Oh my God, this is, what I experienced and came to the conclusion of is now what he's saying, like the belly is hell. It's the swallowing of your unconscious to like digest and become a new creation. But so once you recognize like, this is the place that I'm in, I'm like, okay, I don't need to be too quick to try to get out of here. You know, like there's a lot of stuff down here that has to be digested and, you know, uh, yeah, kind of uh, transformed into a new creation, which is like yeah. what happens in the belly, and then something new is birthed out of it. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, I mean, where Jonah people are born in, from. Yeah, and Jonah's in the belly, and so there's yeah. an essence where he's being digested in a sense as well. Like there's certain parts of him that need to be yes. digested before he can come back out and, yes. and live and live anew. But I, I love, I mean, everything you just shared is so good. And the book, I mean, the title, Returning to Eden. And correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but it seems to me just going from the title and your story, what you just shared, that we're essentially going back to the beginning, in a sense, yeah. where we're rethinking what these stories perhaps mm-hmm. could mean, because we all mm-hmm. have these rote explanations of these stories of, well, right. Adam and Eve means this, and hell means this, and you know the second coming means this, and all these different yeah. things. And we never... You know, unless unless we have this experience like you just had, like you just shared, mm-hmm. you don't really have any need to rethink it. So you're taking yeah. us kind of back to the beginning, kind of wiping the slate clean and saying, yeah. let's look at these stories for maybe what they really are outside of this perspective that we've been handed. Right. Yeah. And I love that because that fits into the podcast, because the podcast is what if there are ways of thinking about these things that are different than what our yeah. conditions have, have handed us. And one of the things that I wanted to say is that the book 
and you can respond to this if you want to, but your book and in reading it really helped me really helped redeem. How do I say it helped redeem like Bible reading for me. Mm, and what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that like, I have this complicated relationship with the Bible and a lot of mm-hmm. people who listen to the podcast would, would concur that they have a similar experience, but like on one hand, I love it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating. It's wonderful. It's full of so many great, great ideas. I think that can really expand our minds and our hearts and inspire us in a lot of ways. Like I've studied the Bible for like the majority of my life. Like it's always been a part of me, but then mm-hmm. on the other hand, I feel like it's so difficult for me to, to separate what I might read in the Bible today from that theology that I was given as a kid in a private mm-hmm. Christian school, you know, evangelical Bible college seminary, like that lens in my head is like so cemented in there that it's very mm-hmm. difficult to read anything like a, a verse about hell or the story of Adam and Eve, like apart from these doctrines that I was given. So for, for me, a lot of times I find it easier to just say, oh, I'm just going to close the Bible, put it away and yeah. think about this stuff without having the Bible in my face. And there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, you don't need, you don't need the Bible necessarily to connect with, with God. But for me, like I've always loved the Bible. And so yeah. I've always wanted, I've always, I always want to take it off the shelf and read it because I love it so much. So the, the point that I, I want to make is that, that your book really helped me kind of invite that regular reading of the Bible back into my life, because the way that you retell the stories, the way that you creatively look at them really gave, feels like it gives me, gives the reader permission to do the same, like to put that theology aside that you've been handed and say, okay, let me look at this. And maybe I'll come to yeah. a conclusion that's way outside of the box of what I've yeah. been given. And maybe that's okay. Like maybe that's the whole point of the whole thing. So your book is really like a giant permission slip. That's what mm. I'm trying to say mm-hmm. <laughs> for the reader, I think to really uh, look at the Bible and look at these stories and, and maybe ways that are different. What they're yeah. So. Thank you for telling me that. It, make, it makes me so happy because um, it's essentially kind of been my experience too, where I'm like some, I, I did, I definitely did go through a phase, um, not a phase. I mean, I still do it, but like where I was really, um, I was blogging a lot, you know, about my theological deconstruction and like mm-hmm. what, you know, why this isn't right, why this isn't right, whatever. Um, and then I kind of just got bored with it. Once I saw this, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, I, yeah, I was, I just like what you said, I was so hoping that this could be like a book that kind of heals so, some of that stuff, maybe yeah. simply by like rendering it like irrelevant and boring you know what i mean or it's like all of a sudden i'm just like what you know like thinking through these stories in just entirely different contexts where it doesn't even seem like the same thing you know it's like i'm thinking about some you know the the symbolism in lord of the rings compared to like the smurfs or Mm. something like this you know what i mean yeah um but yeah what you're, what you're describing, I also kind of had that experience and actually leads into another like theme of the book, which is like the true self and, and the false self. Can I speak about that? Please. That's what actually was going to be my next thing. Cause I wanted to hear a little bit more about how your thoughts on the Bible have evolved into seeing that motif, I guess is the word for it, of yeah. the true self, the false self. Because I was thinking like when I'm reading your book, I'm like, that's not like a conclusion that most mm-hmm. people would come to <laughs> in mm-hmm. reading these stories but the way that you you see it literally in every single story so i'd love to hear more about yeah. that. yeah great yeah please do so there's um there's this 
professor. Um, he's not alive anymore, but he was a professor of comparative mythology. His name's Joseph Campbell. And mm-hmm. I, I stumbled across him very randomly, like mm-hmm. r- randomly, like his book sort of leaped off the shelf at my local library. <laughs> Read me. You know? right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was it. It was like, I had like a weird looking symbol on the front and I was like, you know, interesting. So, yeah. but he said, he, this isn't a direct quote, but essentially he says like, the spiritual life is about discovering the face you had before you were born. Mm-hmm. And that really is like what the whole return to Eden thing meant to me. It was like, I got to pull this all the way back, like to who, what was my essence in my mother's womb? Like Mm -hmm. before anyone had seen me mirrored me with anything that was accurate or inaccurate, like there were no labels and Mm -hmm pulling all the way back to there where it's just pure essence. Um, and you know, the, the experience I explained at the beginning about, you know, the hellish experience and realizing like, um, it's like I had recognized that part in me that had always been there. It, mm-hmm. it almost felt like amnesia or something like waking up to like, so I call it the true self in mm-hmm. in the book. And I realized this has been with me like the whole time, you know? Yeah. Um, and so in the book, I kind of paint this picture about like human development and spiritual development using the metaphor of like a seed. Um, so there's a chapter in there called the anatomy of a seed. Mm-hmm. And essentially what I describe is like, you know, if you think about a seed, I actually went and found one. Like if mm-hmm. I'm like, what does it look like? You were going to picture this. Okay. Like, and that's kind of as far as it goes, like in our brain, because this is what we can see, you know, this is an acorn seed to an acorn tree. But if you actually cut it open inside is like an embryo. So for this to ever like fulfill its destiny and become an oak tree, the part that you, you know, think of in your head as the seed, this is the part that has to die. Mm -hmm. So it, this is actually like a really great map for us, you know, like the, when I'm like, you know, who's Glenn, what does Glenn look like? you know, it's like immediately just the outer picture of you is going to pop into my head. That's not necessarily. And I think contained in that might be like, you know, Glenn who, you know, several years ago, Glenn, the Christian, Mm -hmm. Glenn, the white guy, Mm -hmm. Glenn, you know, the, the Apple employer, whatever, like all these labels, like create what is this outer shell. Okay. Yeah. So when the Bible talks about like spiritual rebirth or conversion or whatever, or, you know, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you got to go be born again. He's like, what does that mean? I got to go back into my mother's belly. Like, what are you talking about? You know, um, in, in the really intense time when I was having, you know, that, nervous breakdown like make a spiritual breakthrough i don't yeah. i don't however you want to look at it yeah i did um i had s- sort of what was like i don't know what you would call it a vision i feel like that that's a little bit weird but i like saw myself like in a womb you know and at the time that was it was a really like devastating kind of thing mm-hmm. um but sort of in it, it it was just this feeling of like i felt so alone you know like it was just me yeah. there 
And at the time it was like, I'm like yearning for love that I didn't, I wasn't feeling access to, but it, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's going back to the very beginning, letting all the labels and everything that your mind has kind of projected onto you as you totally fall off. And then it's the embryo inside that you can't see, um, that actually takes root into the ground, establishes itself. And then out of that, like can become a tree, you know? So, um, I think at the end of that chapter, there's actually like a passage from Paul where he's like this, this is what the gospel or resurrection means. Like we're all like seeds. We're all going to become like, when you look at the seed, you can't imagine like what this is going to look like, you know? Um, and that, you know, we're we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. Like this is the inevitable thing. It's sort of, it's sort of just a matter of time as to when this is going to happen. You know, like, are you going to let this false shell be buried or go in, go into the belly? And even Jesus is like, you know, you're going to see the sign of Jonah. I'm going to go into the heart of the earth, you know, and and I'll pop back up as something completely new. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm like, he's describing this psychological process. Okay. So, um, like whether you believe that that's literal or not, the part that I'm describing is essential. (laughs) Okay. So like, it, it doesn't really matter if you believe it's literal not or not, if you don't have this piece that I'm talking about, if yeah. this is not a psychological transformation. Yeah. So anyways, um, yeah. So Paul's like, it takes root, all, you know, all these different plants will pop up and you never guess by looking at a tree that this is what it started with. Yeah. So yeah, that, um, that's kind of a motif that I carry throughout the book and use all these different stories, Jonah and the whale, the Red Sea, the virgin birth, Noah's Ark, all these things to illustrate that these stories are symbolically describing this process and illustrating how it all plays out and how, you know, during this process, it's about healing the mind, like in our dualistic way of looking at things and labeling things, you know, in the, in the garden, it's like Adam labeled all the, you know, once you kind of, Oh, I got to back up for a second. Okay. So the other part Mm -hmm. that I forgot Mm -hmm. is that the embryo inside of here is what grows from the tree. Like Mm -hmm. when it grows, when this fruit, you know, Adam and Eve talks about like the fruit on the tree that she picked, the fruit grows on the tree, but in order for it to survive and like become its own tree and fulfill its destiny, it has to develop this shell and fall off the tree. Mm. So this false self is, is completely inevitable and necessary Mm. (laughs) like for the, the true self to be able to like survive the brutal elements of its environment or for us for life, you know, like aside from any of like relational things that might happen to us that cause trauma, or we might be tempted to like blame, like if this wouldn't happen, then I would have been able to hang on to myself kind of thing. And I think what I'm saying is like, there's just things in life inevitably (laughs) 
that are that you need protection, you know? Um, and so this whole process is natural and normal and inevitable. And I'm hoping that if the reader can see this, it can help relax some of our compulsive need to like blame something, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're preaching. You're preaching. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's so good. Oh man. It's, it's like the only thing I'm not the only thing, but like <laughs> when I get passionate about something, I just keep going. No, I'll, I'll that's, give... that's yeah. so good. I was thinking like while, while you're talking about the seed and like you held up the seed or people are just listening, can't see the camera, but when you're holding up the seed, like it, it the illustration comes through so profoundly. And what I was thinking of was we, we tend to, and you grew up in the church, so you've had this experience, I'm sure, but we tend to demonize the false parts of ourselves. Like we're told yeah. to identify the false self, you know, and live from your authority in Christ kind of thing. Like that's who mm-hmm. you really are. All these other things are fake and we have to cast them out. Like there are demons, yeah. they have to go away. We have to shame them and lock them up and all these different things and tell them to go to hell and all this different stuff. But like those parts of ourself are our false self, whatever those false selves might look like for each of us as individuals. Like you said, they're necessary parts of falling off the tree. Yes. And when they hit the ground, perhaps they're, they've, they've served their purpose now and it's time for them to break off. And I think that that breaking off process is a painful process. As you described in your own story, I've had my own um, you know, painful experiences of the false self kind of breaking off, but it hurts. And then yeah. everything within you wants to stay as that seed because this is what feels safe. I'm locked in my shell. Everything mm-hmm. is good. I've got all my false selves out here. Everything is great. But it's not until that false self breaks off, which can be a painful experience, that you can really begin to grow into yeah. everything that you have been created and destined to be. Yeah. I think it's just such a beautiful illustration. And like you said, going from the story of Jonah, you know, Jesus and the the crucifixion, the resurrection, like that theme is everywhere in the Bible. Yeah. Like it, it, once it is, you, once it's you see, the, the theme. <laughs> yeah. Like once you see what you just described and you start reading different stories through that lens, like, mm-hmm. wow, how did I, how did I, how did I not see this yeah. before? Yeah. It's everywhere. Well, and I, I think that the, I mean, I, I won't even label it just the reality of it mm-hmm. is Yeah. Like, I think it's tempting. Yeah. Number one to go like, how did I not see this before? Or how might this have been different if someone had told me this? Mm -hmm. And I kind of started to realize like, this has actually been right here, like at my disposal the whole time. I just couldn't see it. Yeah. And like, even going back and reading these stories, like I'll, I'll pull out all sorts of things where I'm like, there it is. Like the, you know, the example of saying like Jonah was like, I was in hell or even in Psalm 139, I believe it is where it's like, you know, if I go up, uh, go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make mm-hmm. my bed in hell, behold, you're there. I'm like, Oh, well, it says God's in hell. You know? And I'm yeah. like, why didn't no one tell me that? You know what I mean? I was told hell is the place where God isn't. That's what right. makes it And hell, I'm like, right? there it is right there. No, right. like if I make my bed in hell, you're there, you yeah. know? Um, and so, yeah. So I think kind of the, the wisdom that you're kind of alluding to about the necessity of this shell is like, mm-hmm. and, I, and I kind of talk about this in the Noah's Ark story where, you know, it, in that, like if this represents the Ark, mm-hmm. 
if, you know, Noah has the ark, he's floating on the water and then he sends the dove out. Like, is it time, you know, is it time to like, uh, replenish the earth, you know, yeah. like be born anew kind of thing. And the dove's like, it's not time, you know, mm. I didn't bring the thing, but if Noah would have decided, all right, we're opening the doors right now, <laughs> then all the water's flooding in. Yeah. And so the water, like in, you know, universal mythological stories, water represents the unconscious mind. Okay. Yeah. So it's all the contents of the parts of ourselves that we've repressed that are mm. threatening and would destroy this or well, are going to destroy this. But if it happens too soon, then it's catastrophe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, wisdom in the timing of this, where this has to make it off the tree through the brutal elements and find like a favorable spot in the ground to which it can bury itself in order for this to germinate properly. So if this shell cracks open before it's properly buried or ready, then, then all the inner contents are just going to leak out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, we don't have to get into this, but like, even when we're talking about like mental health and, you know, people who are struggling with thing, or, you know, I, I like watched this video the other day of like this pastor who was also like, I went to hell and they were playing like Rihanna's umbrella in hell. <laughs> I have to send you this video. I got to watch that. Please yeah. send it to me. <laughs> it's like these really specific things. Like I saw all of this and Rihanna's umbrella was, and I was like, that sounds pretty heavenly to me. You know, like, <laughs> that's what, that's what plays on my heaven, like dance floor, you know, right. it's on the number one on the playlist. <laughs> right. So anyways, but so he, the thing of when I was like listening to him describe this experience, I know what he is describing was a viscerally real experience for him. Yeah. It just, it goes to show that like what he's describing is reflecting his, his inner contents. Okay. That yeah. have been like relegated to the shadow. Yeah. And it's sort of our ignorance about the fact that we have a shadow that we have these like inner quote demons that we like, banished to hell it's us that are yeah. like banishing these parts of ourselves to hell yeah. but there um there's another section in the book called uh demons and devils i think is the name of the chapter mm -hmm. and all these are like very pretty short chapters where because there, there's just so much like so much symbolism in each of them i wanted the reader to be able to like read it briefly and then be able to digest it. They can almost be read devotionally. I'll throw that out there for you, our listeners because you could literally read like a chapter a day and have that yeah. be like just a reflective piece that will yeah. transform your devotional life if you've had one of those in the past. It just uh, yeah, it brings a different element to the table, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll throw this in as like a shameless plug. I did not plan this. I set my release date for February 22nd, which was like um, two, two, two. And it was exactly four years ago on February 22nd that I published my first blog. So mm -hmm. when I finished the book and we were talking about the release date, I was like, I just love this day. Like, let's pick this day. Mm -hmm. So I picked it. And then I realized, so there's 46 sections in my book, including the chapters and like the epilogue and introduction and everything. And there's like 46 days in Lent from Ash Wednesday to Easter. <laughs> so I was like, read one little section a day, there you go. get yourself reborn by Easter. 
It's, it's a great way to market it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yes. But so in the chapter about demons and devils, mm-hmm. I reference um, again, um, Joseph Campbell, who talks, mm-hmm. his definition of a devil is basically like an intrinsic, like dynamic, vital part of your life that has not been permitted to give expression in this world. Okay. So I I think I hesitate to use this example because I feel like it's so stereotypical, but, you know, for someone who might, you know, identify as homosexual or something like that, or that's like part of the expression of their life, but it's so repressed, (laughs) then you basically they end up projecting onto other people the part of themselves that they have repressed and they're trying to destroy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, we can see this with like, you know, pastors who like rail against homosexuality, whatever. And it's like just an ongoing theme, you know what I mean? And like, I think that there's a lot of Christians who are confused about the subject who might say like, Oh, I agree with it or don't agree with it, but they're not like, railing against it all the time, you know, like a deep hatred of that. Um, So when I see that, I think that this is, it's kind of a joke that we make, but like, if this is something that is like a part of you that has basically like threatened to destroy this before the time has come, then this is like, um, it becomes a very dangerous threat. Okay. Which the mistake is that it's originating inside of you, but you can't see that because you projected it out. So right. the threat seems like it's coming from the outside, yeah. but really like what you've done because you've labeled something a threat and then decided to like attack it, you're now creating the very thing that you're afraid of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, so anyways, So this is basically like reframing the concept of like demons and devils. And so instead of just saying like, they're not real. Okay. It's not exactly, that's not exactly it. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a part of yourself that you have banished to hell inside of you that has to find a way to like have expression in your life. Okay. So, um, yeah, I don't remember why exactly I like went off on that tangent, but it to, to your point, oh, to your point of like these parts of ourselves have to fall off. And then also like kind of learning to have grace for people who aren't there yet, yep. because I think what we're not, what I haven't heard talked about a lot, like in deconstruction or recognized is the reasons why people can't go there. And the fact that like, if they were to, if if you were to poke and prod hard enough that like maybe their quote sin or whatever it is like that we're labeling as, you know, some horrible worldview or whatever is actually protecting them from something worse that is in here yeah. that they're not ready to deal with, mm. you know? Yeah. So there's like this balance of going like, you know, I... I don't agree with how you view things. I think it's harmful. All those things are valid. And also understanding like human psychology and human development and the fact that like, if there's a part of a person that is still stuck with their five-year-old 
traumatized self or whatever that is absolutely terrifying for them to face by continuing to like beat them down about something, you know, you know, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping that like, we can start to shift from a us versus them kind Mm -hmm. of paradigm into like a real understanding of like human development even for like the people that we think are like the nastiest or most backward like there is a reason for that that's not necessarily like in their control or in their awareness and like it's not until this feels safe enough Mm -hmm. that these other things can start to be explored so I think I feel like really hopeful that we can start going there, but also like I do have times of just like kind of (laughs) watching it and knowing like, oh man, you know, like the more that you like rail against this guy, Mm -hmm. the harder he's going to like cling to this. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of maybe call it like spiritual bypassing when it comes to human development where we just spiritualize the issue. Yes. It's just cast the demon out and it'll go away. I mean, growing up, I grew up, I grew up in, like I said, evangelicalism. And I went to, uh, when I went to seminary, we, we was a very charismatic kind of environment. And mm-hmm. we had a lot of um, power encounter, like, you know, casting out demons and doing all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And one of the things I've always struggled with my whole life, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, is I always had this deep sense of like, I don't know if we call it insecurity or like a low self-esteem. Like mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just, I'm very introverted and I just don't, I, I, I struggle sometimes to like put myself out there. And yeah. this was always a thing in school where it would always come up that that's, that's a demon. There's like, there's mm-hmm. a demon that is telling you that you're no good, you know, that you're stupid and you're dumb. And that voice is demonic. We have to get it to go away. And so mm-hmm. I, I went through so many literal like exorcisms where we would, mm-hmm. People oh my gosh. Around, they anoint you with wow. oil. They do all yeah. the praying. Usually it's pretty low key, like n- nobody mm-hmm. really yelling and screaming. A couple of times like it got loud, different things happening. And I for the longest time, I just assumed that that was, that was the issue. It has to be some mm-hmm. kind of spiritual thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my friend Alexander Shia, who's a very mystical type thinker. And he said to me, you know, what if that's not a demon? What mm-hmm. if it's, what if that's your inner child? What if yeah. that is a younger or, version of yourself. Yeah. Your Christ um, child. Yep, your Christ child. What if that's a younger version of yourself who is parroting back to you different things that he's heard throughout the course of his life mm-hmm. and he's put in a situation that reminds him of when he heard that when he was little. And that just blew my mind. And yeah. so he said, I want you to do something. I want you to try for like six months of not trying to make that voice be quiet, but try to befriend that voice mm-hmm. and see what you can learn from it. And that changed everything for me because I realized that I don't have to cast that voice away from the table. I can Mm -hmm. invite it to the table. I don't have to give it the seat at the head of the table to control my life, but I can listen to it, what it has to offer me, but then speak truth back to that Mm -hmm. that voice. And that all of that just ties right into everything that you were just sharing, because like I said, we, we tend to spiritually bypass those different things in our life and we try to cast them away in reality. They're part of us. And that's good. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people that are coming out of evangelicalism are doing that work. Yep. And it's interesting. Like I, 
I won't get too deep into this, but like just at each at each different stage of human development. I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Wilber. He developed this. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. so to keep it real simple, essentially what he did is he took he went and studied like hundreds of different developmental models, like mm -hmm. across cultures, across de demographics. You know, he's taking like cultural ones or people who you know are developing that through the lens of like feminism or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever he took them all and basically like found a, a pattern in all of them, which to, to keep it very simple is more complicated than this, but essentially we all go through, um, an egocentric phase mm -hmm. where, well, egocentric, ethnocentric, global centric, and then integral. Okay. Mm -hmm. So ego is basically, it's, it's this, you know, like I love me. I love what I'm about mm -hmm. kind of thing. Ethnocentric. It's like, I love me and I love my people, you know? So that's a lot of what we experience like in our respective tribes. Mm -hmm. Um, and what everyone, everybody goes through this, like there's no, there's no kid that pops out enlightened who just mm -hmm. like, um, you know, who, who's not, you know what I mean? Like right. you have to start out as a seed before you become a tree. At the, right. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, and then we had, we moved to like global centric where I think a lot of like post evangelicals are mm -hmm. where it's this like, Oh, everybody has their own subjective experience. Everyone has their own worldview, yep. you know? And, and I was trying to do the right thing over here and I wasn't realizing like what, this environment felt like for someone else. You really, you know, es essentially like your narcissist, you start to see your narcissism. Okay. Yeah, Where it's yeah. like, not even, you know, between my husband and I where like, when I describe my experience of a church, he just, and we're in the same environments. He literally just did not, it did not penetrate him the same way. Okay. Mm, yeah. He's, he's just naturally has way more boundaries like on mm. his self where I'm more like an octopus and I'm kind of like <laughs> picking up everyone's energy yeah. in the room, you know, yeah. all this kind of thing, which there's like gifts and challenges to each part. Mm. Um, so in each of these different stages of development, there's like light and shadow things. Okay. Like even within fundamentalism or when you're in the ethnocentric um, tribal stage, mm -hmm. there are things from that that are valuable. I'll give you an example. So my husband, um, he just got done doing four months of chemotherapy. He had lymphoma. He had to go through this. And it's like, you know, I've been writing about my experiences with evangelicalism, you know, critical and, you know, all these ideas that don't really like mesh with it or whatever, where I felt pretty alienated from that community. Mm -hmm. When this happened, like all the evangelicals showed up like with food, you know what I mean? And it was sort of this humbling thing for me. I was <laughs> like, damn it. You know what I mean? Like, thank you. It, it yeah. like, I, I felt so loved and cared for, you know what I mean? And it was just like, I, okay. You know, like I can, I can look at that and go like, you know, when, when shit hits the fan and the old Baptist ladies are like, let me cook you up 
all this food and bring it to you. I'm, I'm just like, that is wonderful. You know what I mean? And I really appreciate like that those kind of values where it's like traditional, we take care of our own yeah. kind of things. You get those from that like ethnocentric phase of your life. Okay. Yeah. So, but when you move to the global centric thing and you start to realize like, you know, you're putting yourself in other people's shoes. We all have all these different perspectives. All the different perspectives need to come to the table kind of thing. The kind of the shadow side of that is um, like, you can only have that perspective once you've transcended a lower perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the lower perspective, the higher perspectives feel very threatening. Again, going back to like, I, we're not ready to see this yet, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when we try to like force our perspective, a lot of times it makes this shell more concrete. That's right. Um, as opposed to like, you know, and if we really do feel like, oh, this is a more enlightened way of thinking, mm -hmm. then the responsibility is kind of on us to like move evolution forward, like to move human consciousness forward, which means we have, like, we have to understand the psychology of where people are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the shadow side of like the global perspective. Mm -hmm. And then to use Ken Wilber's term, like the integral mm -hmm. is basically being able to see all of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And going like, you know, if someone is in an egocentric stage, and well, I, I won't throw out that name because I don't want to like alienate people. But if, if there's an adult who is extremely egocentric mm -hmm. and like it's, it's compulsive, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. In like developmentally, that person might still emotionally be a five-year-old. And I'm not saying it as like a dig. It's like sure. that, that is as far as he was permitted to like develop. Yeah. So far, you know, and then his body just got bigger mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So we can't expect, or we can't like rail on five-year-olds for not having the awareness of a 30-year-old, Right. you know? So anyways, I, I totally understand like the arguments about like taking responsibility and blah, 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 blah. Sure. But like, I, I think if, if anyone's honest about like the whole spectrum of like human psychology and growth, which we have to be at this <laughs> point because we have such big problems yeah. it's not like that we don't try to contain or set boundaries or whatever on people who are like wreaking havoc in their egocentricity mm -hmm. but like we can we can't expect that like by shaming and attacking that that it, you know that that's gonna like get us to where we need to go yeah so anyways yeah. I, i'm hoping that like for people who have progressed, you know, through their own, like struggle, through their own, like working out of their own salvation to like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, work it out with fear and trembling. Like this is like scary, terrifying stuff. And when we're like really honest about that, there's like some compassion to be had for people who haven't done that yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So right. anyways, I'm hoping like, we can start kind of turning the gem as like mm. figure out how do we be a more helping inviting hand, you know? Yeah. Cause I do think like in, inside this, it is the true self it is the potential, you know, like, mm. um, 
in my book, there's a quote by this old Catholic mystic named Carol Hauslander. And she says, Christ in the tomb is still Christ. Okay. So it's like, even if a soul seems to be dead, you still have to have reverence for the, the divine DNA and the potential for that to resurrect in somebody. And so I think that what, how I try to look at people is, you know, even if they're like, seem emotionally disfigured or psychologically, whatever, it's like, I can still speak to that part of them, you know, like the Christ within, Mm. um, and hope. And I, and I think that that part, there's something that does when you mirror it properly, it, it recognizes itself, Mm. you know, it sees itself. So there might be a lot of shell. It's not necessarily going to come like bursting awake at that moment, (laughs) but I feel like that that's the perspective that we have to have if we're going to like move forward as a, a species. Yeah. Wow. Well, Heather, this has been, this has been a lot of fun, but we are just about out of time. And, uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for your book. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm excited for the book to get out there. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Yeah, absolutely. And real quick, where can people go to connect with you and your work online, any kind of websites, social media that you want to direct us to? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the book returning to Eden comes out on February 2nd, 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, you can visit my website. It's just returning to Eden.com mm-hmm. um, on Instagram, Heather Hamilton one and on Facebook, Heather Hamilton author. Awesome. Well, I'll put so, the links. Yeah. yeah. I'll put the links in the show notes and I'll yep. do this again. Cause I think we have more things to talk about. Yeah. I already I have a whole bunch that. of questions. That's what I want to ask you, but we just don't have time. <laughs> yeah. 2.0. I would awesome. love it. <laughs>